What's up, guys? JD here, and on today's show, I am talking with not just one, but two powerhouse women. The company is called How to Cake It. It is a YouTube sensation. The star of the channel is Yolanda Gamp, and you guys also might know Yolanda from Fox's Crime Scene Kitchen. You can catch that Monday nights on Fox right now. So Yolanda is a cake artist. She makes these crazy, insane, gorgeous cakes. You can see them, Google how to cake it. You'll see them all over the place. And Connie Contardi is the CEO of How to Cake It, the business brains behind it all. We talk about the making of this company, how they built a business reaching 15 million people, how they make money, how they do deals, how they almost had a game-changing deal happen just a few months ago, and how that went down. So you guys are gonna love this episode. So much to cover. Get to that in just a second. Before we do, if you love the content I'm putting out, make sure you leave a rating and a review on this podcast. Share it with a friend. You will make me so happy. And now, let's get to the show. You're listening to Making It with John Davids. Yolanda and Connie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Yeah, this is going to be awesome. So for the audience, let's just do quick intros so they kind of know your voices and your stories. And then I've got a hundred questions. So Yolanda, why don't you kick it off? Sure. Okay. I'm Yolanda Gamp. I am the cake artist that you see on how to cake it, but I have been a cake artist for, oh Lord, my birthday's in a week. So it's now 25 years. It just seems like I popped up on YouTube and started to make these crazy cakes, but I had a a lot of practice long before (laughs) I ended up on YouTube. So this wasn't just like a for YouTube thing. You were doing these crazy cakes beforehand. Oh yeah. And the the funniest thing about my YouTube journey is when I meet real life viewers, especially when they're young, their number one question is, what made you decide to do cakes on YouTube? And my answer is, I don't know how to do anything else. So unless we were going to create a YouTube channel of me cleaning and organizing drawers, <laughs> it's cakes because that's what I've been doing since I was 19. Awesome. You, you found your calling. And Connie, say hello. Hi, I'm Connie Contardi. I'm the co-founder and CEO of How to Cake It. Okay, awesome. So is How to Cake It, we all know How to Cake It as a YouTube channel and as a media brand. Is it a... How do you describe it? Is it a business? Is it a media company? Well, every business and brand is a media company now, right? That's kind of the way forward. But what we've been going around saying recently is true. And we are the number one online baking education and media brand in the world. And we have a community of over 15 million, mostly Gen Z women, millennial moms and their families. So yeah, we're an education and entertainment brand. Edutainment is what we used to say in the, <laughs> in the industry where I, where I come from. That's my background. Yo was cake artist. I was a TV producer before we launched this business together. And how did you guys actually meet? Yo, you want to take this one? Yeah, this is my favorite story. So Connie and Jocelyn, who is the other co-founder, there's three of us, they had their own company, CJ Mercon, and they worked in TV production development. So they were the two that came up with the ideas for TV shows. And they came up with a great idea called Sugar Stars, which was a Canadian Food Network show, which I was on along with, it was an ensemble cast, but I was the person who made cakes that looked like things, surprise, and 
the idea was we created these elaborate sweet tables with cake at the center, but there were florals and linen and a whole bunch of baked treats that matched and were wrapped. And there was always a theme or at least a color scheme. And there was only one season of the show. I thought it was a great idea, as they did as well. And I am someone who never expected to be in front of camera. I am a really shy person and had a lot of trouble with my shyness as a kid coming out of my shell. But when the opportunity sort of fell in my lap, my first thought was, I just can't wait to showcase what I do. Because all I've ever hungered for is making more cakes, making better cakes and having people see them so that I could sell more of them in my city of Toronto. But the show was not renewed. And so in the time that it wasn't renewed, I became friends with Connie and Jocelyn and they had their own frustrations, you know, with their own creative endeavors, because at the end of the day, they came up with all these great ideas and were constantly told no by the TV people at the top. And likewise, even though I love cake decorating, I had to make cakes for clients and I had to make what they wanted, even if I didn't think it was a good idea, right? I couldn't sell anyone a watermelon cake. Who knew? And so <laughs> in that friendship, you know, they kept actually trying to pitch me to different networks, the idea of me and my cakes. And they were again, constantly told no. And so there just came a moment where they called me. I, in the meantime, had a son. I remember I was sitting on the couch breastfeeding my son, who is now 10, and they said, how about YouTube? We've heard about this YouTube thing. We think this is the future. This is the way to go. We'll figure it out. And at this point, I had nothing to lose. Like I had stopped making cakes because what I was year on was that, that leave. 2014. So this is 2014. We first went to air 2015, but we started the wheels turning in 2014. My son was born in 2013. So yeah. And cool. we just thought, yeah, let's do this. So Connie and Joss did like a deep dive on how YouTube works and what we should do. And I was just happy, quite frankly, to, like I said, showcase my work and do it without drama. Because although cake was becoming very popular on TV, it was always with the added drama, whether it is a competition and you can't finish or oops, I dropped a cake and it's destroyed. And my philosophy is cake will bring the drama. You're trying to control food. Drama will come. You don't need any added drama from people. I just wanted to share what I do. I've always been super excited about it. And it just felt like my own little private world. And so we went to YouTube and there you have it. And that first fan fest we were talking about that was at Dundas, in Dundas Square, we just made our way in. We I don't know who we called Connie, but we begged. Well, I want I want to get to that in a second, and and for yes. for all those listeners. So just to give you some context, this is 2013, 14. This 14. time frame is kind of after the first era of all the big first YouTubers. I think like names like Michelle Fon and I can't remember her name. Bethany uh, Moda. Bethany, Bethany Moda. Moda. I literally just gonna say. Um, Jenna Marbles. Yep. So uh, Lord DIY, people, who's from Toronto. Yeah, all these people were already big and they were sort of like peaking and some were fading. And so I remember when Had a Cake it came onto my radar, which was at this event called FanFest, which was happening all over the world. And there was an event in Toronto that we all went to at the time, even though we didn't know each other. And I remember seeing this brand and thinking like, okay, it's a new brand, but how do you build a million plus subscriber YouTube channel in 2014, 15. It just seemed like it was too late. Did it feel like that, Connie, to you? Or did you believe in this from that period? Yeah, it was funny. It definitely felt late. <laughs> and originally, so at the time, like Yo said, Jocelyn and I were in television. And it was interesting because we were in a very different world than Yo, but we were sharing these same frustrations, like Yo was saying. We were tired of asking for permission 
asking the gatekeepers or clients for permission to do what we really believed in and we thought was the type of content right be it a cake or be it a youtube show or be it whatever we could imagine getting that out into the world so really starting this brand was a bit of a defiant act like act it was we're tired of asking the gatekeepers for permission let's figure this out so that's what kind of drove things and we did feel like it was late in the game Jocelyn and I had come from the traditional TV world and we had a very cushy job at a big entertainment company creating these shows. So we had a title, we had a really nice office, we had really fancy business cards and that was our day job. And in that day job, we went to some of the people in that company who controlled the budgets and said, look, we're kind of tired of doing all this stuff for networks and they're not really pulling the trigger fast enough and they're not really seeing our vision. We have this vision for YouTube. You know, there's a lot of stuff happening there. We think it's the future. Can you just allocate a small piece of the budget that we're spending on doing sizzle reels to do a bit of a test and learn on YouTube? And, you know, we think it would be great to do it around Yolanda and her talents because YouTube is global and baking and sweets, while it's a niche, it's a massive niche when you look at it globally. And the show that Yo had referenced that we had done for Food Network, while it only did a season in Canada, it was being sold all around the world. And we had this dormant Facebook page that no one was really managing anymore. What was that show called, Connie? Called Sugar Stars. Okay. Sugar Stars. So yeah, there was a Sugar Stars Facebook page that no one was managing anymore because we've all moved on to other things, as you do in the TV world. But the show was being sold to Malaysia and India and Brazil. And it was amassing these fans in different parts of the globe. And they were jumping on the page because they had no other way of contacting us and saying, when is the next season of Sugar Stars? So we saw there was an appetite and we made what we thought was a very compelling case to our superiors in the traditional media world to say, hey, give us a really small budget and let us test out this YouTube thing because we think that's where the future is going. And again, we were met with rejection, John. Again, it was, we were asking for permission. And again, it was, no, you know, we don't really know the business model. How do we really monetize? And we just thought it was silly because we were spending lots of money making sizzle reels. And sizzle reels are kind of like mini pilots for show ideas that you pitch to networks. And nine out of 10 times, they're saying no. So I'm like, what's the ROI there? Why not just take a small budget to make one sizzle reel and Let's try this YouTube thing. But still, no one believed. So yeah, people listening today are going to be blown away because if you want to make a podcast or a TikTok or you want to build an audience on Instagram or a newsletter, you just go ahead and do it. But back in the day, it was so the feeling was so different. Like we need when you say permission, like how are we going to get anybody to see this if we don't have the Food Network sign off or HGTV or whatever? And that really is what you felt like. Yeah, and even with YouTube, we just thought how. Like, we don't know the first thing about it. We know how to create TV shows, but we don't know the first thing about creating a brand and a channel on YouTube. And that's going to take time and money to learn. So we just wanted to carve out some of our days and our day job and some money to, you know, hire a shooter to shoot yo, to do all the things, figure out how we're going to do social media for this channel, figure out how to drive audience. And again, no one saw the vision. So we said, all right, well, I guess this is going to be our side hustle and it's going to be funded by the bank of us. And we're going to figure it out. Every entrepreneur's favorite bank, the bank of us. The bank of us. And that's what we did. So we worked our full-time jobs for about four. We continued our full-time jobs for four and a half months. 
and on the side. So evenings, weekends, whatever was spent building this channel, having no idea what we're doing it, doing it anyway. And really at that FanFest event, which was about four months in, John. Yeah, but it was about four months in. Yeah. We had maybe 1,500 subscribers and they were mostly all our family and friends. And any views we had on the channel was mostly our family and friends, maybe a few fans that were watching Sugar Stars from around the world. But it was not, there was no inkling that this was going to be a success. So we were just pouring money into the business, pouring time and got to a point where we couldn't really do both like our full-time jobs and YouTube. And we did something very reckless and we jumped ship. We jumped the cushy job with absolutely no money being made on this channel, no signs that we would make money. And we left the safety of that industry and said, let's just go all in on this. And two months later, we finally started to see. Okay. So you're, you're calling this... A, I love how you refer to it as a business in the first four and a half months where you're literally doing nothing but making videos for your friends and family on YouTube. But it, it, I'm sure it felt like a business. And going four and a half months sounds quick. But when you're living that, it feels like an eternity. So you're cranking yeah. out videos. What was the first big break? What was the moment where you went from 1500 to some other big number and you actually felt pretty good about it? Yeah. I'm going to take one little step back and say... Okay. When we launched the channel, we were very clear in that we didn't want it to just be a YouTube channel, which is why, you know, we called it How to Cake It. And we wanted to create this brand because we were very intrigued by this concept of building a community, right? Offering them really great content on YouTube. Like at the time, there weren't a lot of people that were trained in television production and bringing that kind of skill set to like the TV skill set to YouTube. So we wanted to see how that would translate over. And then also how we would drive commerce through that. So we, from the beginning, we launched the YouTube channel, but we also simultaneously launched the Shopify store. So the four and a half months felt long because not only were we trying to figure out YouTube, we were trying to figure out community building and we were trying to figure out e-commerce while still having full-time jobs and yo being a new mom. So you're doing a- all of that Im- immediately, which is pretty like, that, that's pretty remarkable. I guess it makes sense because you had the experience in production in show business. So you weren't coming out from this from scratch, but it's actually pretty amazing that you were thinking about all that on day one. So yo, t- tell us about that first big break. I would say that the first... So I want to also talk about at that fan fest, if you remember, Connie, we spoke to people there. I made a cake that was the logo of YouTube fan fest. So like a Y, a T, an F and an F, four cakes, John. And I stood there serving it. And someone gave us the advice, Connie, that day. Oh, 1500. Oh, that's great. You know what? If you get to 5000 by the end of the year, I'd say keep going. But if not, maybe just call it a day. And so I'd say the first big break actually came the following year leading up to my birthday, which is in July, it's a week from today. And what I did is I put a call out on the channel. I think by this point, we had 2,500 subscribers. Yeah. And on the channel, I said, guys, Jocelyn encouraged me. She's like, let's just ask them. What have we got to lose? So I said, it's my birthday. You know what I would love for my birthday? I would love 5,000 followers. So basically we asked them to double our subscribers. Okay. (laughs) Thinking this is bold. This is brazen. We went to party city and bought balloons five and three zeros so that we could shoot the video, just hoping and praying we'd get 5,000 subscribers. John by midnight on my birthday, we had a hundred thousand subscribers. What? 
Yeah. Be, just, just, by asking, just by asking. Just in by one asking. Month, yeah. In, in one month, month, we grew from 2,500 to 100,000 subscribers. And the ask was definitely a huge part of it. I also think we had just been super consistent. We yeah. were doing this now full time. We were giving it our all. And then we had Walter happen, yo. Oh, yeah. Well, we can't not talk about Walter. <laughs> so I'd say our first viral cake, I wouldn't say definitely our first viral cake and still the most watched video on the channel is me making a watermelon cake, which is a cake I had envisioned in my mind for years and loved the thought of because it's decorated both inside and out and then put it up on the channel. And we went full ham with this cake. <laughs> our editor at the time gave the watermelon we had an actual watermelon as a model. When I make cakes, I love to have a model, if I can, of the object that I'm caking. So we had an actual watermelon. We drew eyes on it because our shooter at the time was also an artist. So he drew two different faces on Walter and we'd switch him around. He was part of the interview process and he had a speech bubble that our editor added and he was throwing me shade. This watermelon was throwing me shade the whole time. <laughs> this video went so viral that we had viewers in South Korea DMing us video of the South Korean news and translating it. And it was a clip of me making Walter the watermelon cake on the South Korean news. <laughs> wow. Is this the one with the title, How to Make a Watermelon Out of Pink Velvet Cake? I think so. Is that what That's it's one? called? <laughs> There's two, there's it's one, got, there's it's got 12 million views. I don't know. <laughs> I think, no, I don't think that's it. Walter Maybe it's another. More. Because years ago, Walter already had 14K. So I think wow. he has more. And, I, and then I've since caked the square Japanese version of him, his cousin. So he's become sort of a running joke and character within uh, How to Cake It because that video, I think that video also is the first time we sort of branched out and showed me out of the kitchen. And I went to a local park and picked Walter out of a tree. And then one of the top comments is watermelons don't grow on trees, which I know, but that's why it's so absurd. So I think it was just a combo of the fun and the absurdity. And then of course me making this cake that as I envisioned is so visually stimulating. And it's yeah. an object that everyone has seen. It's a food that everyone has seen, but we did not expect that. And I would say this too, when we first started the channel, in my business, I made wedding cakes, novelty cakes. I mainly made wedding cakes, bar mitzvah cakes, really big occasion cakes, like 50th birthday, something huge. And on the channel, we wanted to sort of make simpler projects so that we would build the community and people would try the recipe and then comment and, and you know, we'd build this sort of repertoire. But the first novelty cake I made was a stack of pancakes with a pat of fondant butter and fondant blueberries, and it performed so well. So then we just kept riding that train because I think at the time, even though we felt late to the game, and while there was baking on YouTube, there weren't a lot of people making novelty cakes and certainly not people like me who had 17 years of experience at the time yeah. sharing this art form. And I believe people love a transformation, whether it's cake and pens to a watermelon or a room transformation, all the shows on TV that have any kind of transformation, people love to watch. Oh, it's it's very satisfying. And you yes. kind of hit on so many different levels because it's visually stimulating. It gives people something that they can do at home. It's aspirational. So if I were to actually do it, I would feel really good about myself. And you have a really quick sort of start to finish or before and after, I should say. So it kind of checks all those boxes. Okay, let's fast forward a little bit because I love this origin story. And obviously you grew and grew and grew. Let's get into the economics of the business. So 
How did you actually start to make money? You mentioned e-commerce. You mentioned, obviously, there's monetization. When did this business actually start to make money? And, and where did that come from? We were profitable in year one, which is pretty amazing. It started to make money after the 100,000 subs. And Walter went viral. After that, we started, you know, we had a lot of subscribers and we were just in the algorithm, in the YouTube algorithm. And we were just leveling up our game and our content and just getting better and better. And so by the end of year one, we had a million subscribers and we were making money on those views. So how YouTube works, for those who don't know, when you put the content out, you basically get paid for every thousand views. And so we were making money on that. And we were also making money on what we in the industry called brand deals. So brands are seeing, oh, you know, this channel has a really engaged community, has a really engaged audience. It's an audience we want to speak to and sell our products or services to. And they would come to us and say, hey, can we promote our product in your videos? Can you create videos for us and push it out on your channel? So that's how we were making the lion's share of our money. And then the third way, so it was, we were making it through three channels. So the monetization of content on YouTube, the brand deals, so brands coming to us, basically doing product placement and collabs. And then the third chunk was e-commerce. And at the time we were selling mostly merchy stuff. So in every video, Yo would wear a t-shirt. And this was from day one. We, we had thought about this from day one. Yo was wearing a t-shirt with a cake pun. So something that would say like, cake it to the limit or... I don't know what was some, uh, I'm just here for the cake, like just really fun. Go ahead, cake my day. Yeah, bake to the future, <laughs> like all that kind of stuff. So in every episode, the theme of the video, Yo would have a corresponding t-shirt and we would sell these on our Shopify store. So as we amassed more fans, they would buy that merchy stuff. But then we were also really enjoying YouTube being this place where you have this two-way conversation with your audience, right? It's very different from traditional media where we came, where you create something, you create a piece of content, you put it out into the world and you don't really have a relationship. Here we had a relationship, a two-way conversation and all the comments. And we people were asking about certain tools Yolanda was using and they wanted to know where to get it and it, exactly the one that Yo had. So we started selling that through e-commerce. We were really using social listening as a way to inform our business strategy and saying, we don't know what the best thing the customer wants is. Let's have them tell us and give them what they're asking for. So kind of reverse engineering that, which was great for us. So we were making some money on the e-commerce side as well. So that 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 was affiliate e-commerce? No, we did oh. it ourselves. Yeah, we were like, you know, Yo uses this bottle. It comes from Italy. You know, it's the best of the best. Let's find the manufacturer. Let's brand it and let's sell it and fulfill it all ourselves. So we wanted to get right into the weeds and figure it all out. And are you still making money all those same ways today? We are. COVID really really has bounced us around so we can kind of get into the economics of we are still playing in those three verticals, but the balance of the percentage of what made the most money has shifted greatly during the pandemic and post the pandemic. So we can so let me guess, did the mer did, did the food products and like all the actually those products went up during the pandemic? Absolutely. And also we launched we launched a, a whole new product offering. We launched our educational programming, our digital products. People were 
trapped in their homes, really looking for ways to be entertained and things to do. I mean, everyone was baking banana bread uh, <laughs> during those few months of the pandemic and they wanted to make more than just banana bread. So that's when we really kind of grew the educational part of our business and started offering a lot of educational and digital products, which then became and still is our number one revenue driver right now. The physical Amazing. products, like the tools, we got hit with a lot of the issues that other people got hit with during the pandemic, supply chain issues, demand issues, all the not so fun stuff. So that part of the business, while it did great during the pandemic, was very draining and very operationally taxing. And we're actually going to be closing that part of the business and getting back to our roots and just focusing more on the content and the digital products. It's so funny. I got into the physical product business very briefly, sort of around COVID or a bit, a bit before that. And I don't know, coming from the virtual digital world, getting into the physical product world, I thought it would be relatively easy. It was such a pain in the ass. I couldn't stand so many... Like I got to wait for a ship to come in before I can make money. What's going on right now? And so going into the information world makes a lot of sense. And by the way, I'm on your site right now. So you've got masterclasses you know, ranging from 99 bucks to 111 bucks. So this is actually, you said, the biggest part of your business. Right now it is. Yes. Right now yeah. it is the biggest part of our business. I mean, in terms of consistent recurring revenue, we definitely get big spikes with brand deals on the content side. And, you know, we took a little bit of a pause on some of our content during COVID while we were restructuring the business and leaning into the e-com and the education side. We're now coming back there and just really ramping it up. I mean, the beautiful thing is we have this incredibly engaged community of 15 million people worldwide. We really listen to them and figure out what's valuable to them and give them what they want and meet them where they are. So I want to get into the more into the brand deals in a second, but yo, how do you decide you said you have 15 million followers now or, you know, people in the community, where are they and how do you decide where you need to be in terms of the platforms, the newsletters, etc.? Oh, wow. I mean, I would say, you know, they're sort of spread out. We have our YouTube viewers that are tried and true. We find we also find new YouTube viewers all the time. And then we have our Instagram followers, because as you know, people don't necessarily follow you on all platforms. They follow you on the platform they enjoy your content most or the way that they can you know, easily access it depending on their lifestyle. And so we find with Instagram, for example, people really use us as a resource. And on Instagram, we have two accounts. So we have me as a person, and then we have a How to Cake It account with different types of content to satisfy everyone's needs. And we find that people come and they actually go into our highlights. So they're using us as a resource and they're doing that on our website as well with blogs. YouTube still remains the sort of edutainment. So I think people want to learn on YouTube, but there's also a lot of people who just want to view and it remains both educational and aspirational. And then there's sort of the third way, which is kind of new. I've always been, I'd say once the channel hit a million, I got opportunities to be judge a judge a cake judge on all these cake competition shows that i used to watch which is an honor but when the pandemic hit and i took a break from youtube i actually got the opportunity to be a full-time judge on a fox show crime scene kitchen so right now season two is on the air monday nights at nine and it, it's only because i took a break on youtube that i was even able to do that because we were as connie said very consistent with our content on youtube we had never missed a video and 
it would have been impossible for me to take that opportunity and maintain YouTube as well as all the other, you know, responsibilities of my life. Mm-hmm. So that has been a really nice branch out for me because as I mentioned, I've been doing, I've been a cake decorator for half my life. And to be able to share my knowledge and truly help other people on their caking journey, because that's what they want to do for a living is so fulfilling to me. And it's something new. And I never saw YouTube being the road to that journey, but it absolutely has been. Quick break while I tell you about DemandScope. This is my new agency where we help you blow up your social media so you can blow up your income. DemandScope works with entrepreneurs and business owners to develop their personal brands across LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and beyond, using the power of personal brand building to drive your business forward in a big way. It's time to turn your social media feed into a customer acquisition engine. Learn more at demandscope.co. That's demandscope.co. So you mentioned YouTube and Instagram, and obviously those are the are the big ones. I noticed you didn't even mention TikTok, and you you have a TikTok. We have a TikTok. Are you to take it seriously? Is it is it a big part of your distribution? I think it should be a bigger part now. And I personally really enjoy TikTok as a platform. When I first got on, I was like, let me figure this thing out. But I really enjoy it. And I follow a lot of food content myself. We have a joke about our YouTube. And we always say that I do the longest possible thing on YouTube. So YouTube suited us because technically it's the longest format right? You can put up a video on YouTube that is 15 minutes. And like you said, the delivery is great because you see the transformation quickly. But John, these cakes take me two to three days and you're watching a 12 minute video. So I kind of feel like I'm lying. You know what I mean? Like I'm, (laughs) I'm making it look very easy. So breaking that content down into a TikTok that's 30 seconds, it's almost like we need to start to break we're trying to figure that out, but we definitely see the value in TikTok, enjoy TikTok, and we want to start ramping that up. But then there's other platforms that never really performed for us just because of the nature. Like if you think of Twitter, Twitter is all about writing. And so it wasn't, now it's gotten more visual, but it wasn't visual when we started. So our Twitter just ended up being links to Instagram and YouTube so that people could get the visual. So it felt like wasted energy. And truth be told, I don't think very many people can succeed and go viral across all platforms. Yeah. Because they, they're all different, different audience, different type of content. But TikTok is one that we really want to jump on just because of our own, like I said, enjoyment. And you can see, you can really see how food content does well on TikTok. It does super that well. Is it fire. doesn't. You can't do the the long form 12 minute, 15 minute version, but yeah, you, no. you can do the the 12 second version. So yes. I want to get to a juicy topic. Connie, you told me when, when we connected a couple months ago, you told me about a big deal that you had in the works, which, which was a bit soul crushing in the end. Uh, so th- this is a bit of entrepreneur therapy. Maybe we can have some, some theme music for entrepreneur therapy playing here. Tell me about this deal and what happened and what that was all about. You know, sometimes running a business feels like you're in your single person dating, looking for the love of your life. And you like get a lot of like false starts and there's a lot of hope and you're like, oh, this is the guy and you invest all this time. But like then he really lets you down and he's not a good guy. 
And that's kind of what happened last year. We had, after a lot of pivots back and forth with COVID and highs and lows and all the things that many businesses have experienced over the last few years, we got into very serious discussions with a major retailer for a very, very large deal, which would have been game changing, right? It would have taken the product side of our, the physical product side of our business into a whole new realm. And in doing that would have created a whole bunch more exposure for us. So it was a very exciting, big, big, big deal. And with these big, big, big deals, they're quite long lead. So we were taking our time and talking to all the players and spending a lot of hours, not getting paid, putting together a lot of decks for them. And I remember being at my sister's wedding in Lake Como, Italy last summer and frantically, like with the time difference, trying to find Wi-Fi and, you know, coordinating calls and just being completely distracted at the wedding, which I wanted to be present for because this big deal was going to happen and everything's very hurry up and wait, right? When you're dealing with the big Fortune 500 companies. And we got so close and then they had a restructure and new buyers were coming in and they were restructuring our whole department. And then two months later, they surface again. It's back on the table, new buyer. Now we need even more. And basically there were three conversations happening over a series of five months and investments were being made and, you know, high interest loan was even taken in the anticipation of this deal going through and one division we were talking to completely shuttered and the buyer that we got very far with ghosted us. So like I said, it's like, it's like dating. So, so this more, very big, a bit more deal. high stakes than dating, I would say. <laughs> well, date, I guess if you're dating to get married, yeah, definitely more high stakes, but emotionally it's the emotional pull where you feel right. very invested and very hopeful about this future and this big deal. And it becomes very consuming and then just doesn't pan out and you get ghosted. You just don't, you know, one division we heard about what happened, but the other one, it was just a complete ghost. And so how big of a team are you guys? So we've gone through a lot of restructuring pre-pandemic, during pandemic. We did the rapid scaling thing. Post-pandemic, we had to restructure again. We're now at eight people full-time. The largest we've been was 25 people full-time. Running a team with eight people versus 25 is very different. There's a lot of different systems you put in place for that. There's a lot of different communication channels you need to have when you're a bigger team, especially we're a remote team. We're largely remote. So there's a lot of challenges there. But yes, we're now down to eight full-time people and a lot of contractors. So when you're eight people or even 25 people, to be doing a deal with a Fortune 500, that could be transformational. So it's a big deal. That's a huge time suck. And when that deal dies, and by the way, like most deals die. So it it really sucks when it happens at the last minute and for a whole bunch of reasons out of your control. But did you ever have moments of like, I can't do this anymore? We shouldn't (laughs) or like, what what was the rock bottom there? And I want to hear that from both of you. That was definitely rock bottom. I mean, last year, I think in general was just a series, a roller coaster series. It was a lot of like, you know, this big deal on the table. So you get your hopes up and then they come crashing down. It was just a lot of roller coaster riding. And I speak with a lot of founders and they're all saying the same thing. Like post COVID 2022, just with how the markets were and inflation and interest rate and supply chains, it's just a roller coaster year. And 2023, has been not much better, to be honest. It's very roller coastery. So I would say in the last six months, eight for sure, I have cried more and prayed more than I have probably in the last decade. Wow. Yo, what about you? 
for me, my rock bottom was, my rock bottom actually was probably 2017 was a really tough year for me. The channel was doing great. We were doing phenomenally across the board, but I was very tired. I mean, as I mentioned, I started this channel as a new mom. So my life became really nonstop in every single arena. And then I wrote a book because when we hit a million, but here come the publishers. <laughs> um, and of course I wrote a novelty cake book as my first book ever. Wow. Hard. If you think making cakes is hard, writing and telling people how to make cakes in words is even harder. And so it was just a very long, arduous process. But don't get me wrong, it's probably one of the things I am most proud of. But I, it was just pure exhaustion after that. And the channel also became really tiring. You know, I've always lived in this solo world of cake decorating. I'm a self-doc cake decorator. I don't have a bunch of cake decorating friends. I was never part of a cake decorating community. And then all of a sudden I was thrust in front of the camera doing what I loved at a really consistent level. And it just started to fizzle out for me because I felt so tired across the board. And I'm not a person who's very good at faking it. So when I became tired and less enthusiastic, it was very hard for me to be on camera because I never wanted to bring that energy to camera and it had nothing to do with anybody else. Our community is impeccable. You know, I meet people outside all the time who are so kind and gracious to me, but it was just a personal thing. I call this my like cake midlife crisis because <laughs> I don't know, honestly, I don't know very many people, my own circle of friends included, who have had the same job their whole adult life, only me. And it has changed. Of course it has changed, but I also need something out of it. So as a cake decorator, I'm very fulfilled. I've made thousands and thousands of cakes. And I reached a point with the channel where it just kind of felt like the same thing all the time. And I was tired. And so I decided to take a break, which was really hard, not because it was hard for me to put cakes on pause, but because it was hard for me to put the community on pause, you know, and feel like I owed them something, but I just needed a rejuvenation. And to be fair, when I used to make cakes for clients, I'd always get that natural rejuvenation because people don't like getting married in January and February, for example. So that's when I'd go take a trip and I'd be re-inspired and I'd feel relaxed. And then I would come back with YouTube. We never had breaks. We right. went for years and years and years without a break. Having a toddler, there's certainly no breaks. So it became a lot. And, and I decided to take a break. Physically I'm injured. Yeah. Yes. I had, oh, I had a, I had a fondant injury. You wouldn't believe it. I had a, such a problem with my shoulder and neck from the repetitive motion of icing cakes and rolling fondant, I couldn't even move my neck at the beginning of 2020. I had to start physio. Yeah. Greater um, yeah. burnout is something that happens. You hear about it a lot. And I think the reasons are different, but especially in a case like yours, you are, th this is not easy stuff. You're not just sitting down and talking for 10 minutes and then you turn your camera off and you're gone. You have to be thinking of recipes and then developing it and getting the ingredients and filming it. And so burnout makes a lot of sense. And the fact that you're still going after all these years is, is I mean, shows that you do have a passion for it, even though you have to kind of take breaks and refresh sometimes. I want to ask, okay, so I want to get into kind of the the macro of the business here. When I when I look, I'm on your website now, I'm on the YouTube, like everything's beautiful. And when I think about like who's done this before, this is sort of like Martha Stewart, it's sort of like Rachel Ray, 
Emeril Lagasse, whoever you can sort of think of in the food space or the lifestyle space. Is that who you guys were thinking about from day one? And are there are those the models that you're following, Connie? And you're smiling because she loves Martha. Um, I love Martha. <laughs> <laughs> we all love Martha. <laughs> she loves Martha. Yes and no, to some degree. We, at the time, again, when we were first starting to talk about this idea of being on YouTube, it was 2014. And at the time, YouTube was very saturated, but it was all about the star, right? We talked about it, the Bethany Modas, the Jenna Marbles. And we didn't name the channel Yolanda Gamp. We named it How to Cake It. Because it was, like I said, part of this bigger, larger vision and strategy that we had to become a real educational brand. I mean, the name How to Cake It, that was our intention from day one. It was to inspire people, educate people, connect them and delight them. Those still remain our four brand pillars. When people ask me, oh, oh, you must be a great baker. I'm like, no, not me. They're like, so how are you the CEO of a baking empire? I'm like, because yes, it's about teaching people cakes and baking, but it's not even about that. It's about inspiring people to be creative. There's so many people in our community that will never make cakes, but they watch it because they want to be inspired creatively. They want to be given, again, permission to do something creative. And then there's the people that are going to try it and they want to be educated as it relates to baking or when we're doing speaking engagement, running a business, right? Connecting the way we connect in real life at real life events or online. It's really about bringing a community together and then delighting. Like we really just wanted to put some light, fun content out into the world. Social media can be a very dark place. As we've learned, we wanted to bring some levity and we wanted, especially to the young girls that follow us and the families that are just looking for content that's really fun and brings people together. That's what we wanted to create. But on the business side, the reason I ask is because when I look at this, this could be a $5 million a year business. This could be a $500 million a year business. So were you, are you thinking about like, obviously the deal, like this isn't the company, but you know, Martha did the Kmart deal. That was enormous. That was game changing. Then it was Macy's. Then it was like, you know, her shows. And so is that the ladder that you're following or is it totally Way to rub salt in the wound. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That kind of Martha level deal is the one that I talked about was the hard part that ghosted us. But yes, the vision is very big. The vision is to be the leading authority of all things baking and sweets. So the food network is probably the the best comparison. The food network for baking and sweets. There is no media company out there right now that fills that gap. There's a lot of different talent in the food space. You know, you've got Tasty, which is BuzzFeed backed, that does some of the kind of sweet content, but they're broader. They're all food. Baking and sweets globally is a massive niche. In America alone, it's, a, it's 115 million people that we can potentially speak to. We own 2% of that market share right now, which is on par with one of our, I guess you'd call it competitors, Food 52. Food 52 also owns 2% of that market share, but they have $80 million. We never I was going to say, so that, that, that's my next question. Are you guys bootstrapped or do you have outside funding? We are yes. bootstrapped and it I'm has... I'm wearing my boots right now. It has become <laughs> painful. So I think we've, we're at a point transparently where we've gone as far as we could go. We're really proud of that. Like I said, we're 2% market share, same as Food 52, which has all the funding. But to realize this vision and really become that next level global brand like you're talking about, 
we are now ready for a strategic partner. So we've never gone out to raise. We've never gone out to get a strategic partner. We've had a couple of offers come in, but we're now ready for that right partner who's not just going to bring capital, but is going to really see our vision and, and help us get to that next level. And what, so what I'm really curious about now, and either of you can take this, but when I go to your website, you've got the books, you've got the masterclasses, the informational products, you've got obviously the production capabilities. What do you want to do that you can't do on yourself or that money will solve? Uh, I think it's scale. I think it's, it's really, it's really scale to Yo's point. Like we want to be doing more TikTok. We want to be on all the platforms and doing it really, really well. And that takes a lot of trial and error and a lot of good people. And to do all those platforms well takes takes a big team to do some of the, the other big projects and ideas that we have within the food space, takes some capital and takes opening up some doors and getting into certain markets, it costs money. So we want to be able to, to do all the things we're dreaming of doing on this very big global scale. And that will take some capital and the right connections. Yeah. So how do you manage the business? I'm, I'm curious to know the separation of, of sort of responsibilities between you, Connie, you, Yo, and everyone else at the company. So let, let's start with Yo. What, what do you actually do on a day-to-day basis? I make cakes <laughs> constantly. Uh, I make cakes or I'm thinking of ideas for the next set of videos that we will film. Recipe testing, you know, I've written two books myself and actually the second book we self-publish. So we opened a whole publishing arm of How to Cake It just to self-publish, but also hoping to help other artists write books and other brands write baking books as well. So me, it's like I said, same job. And is it just you or do you have like a baking assistant? I now have a baking assistant, but she also helps with production. Helena, she has been a life changer because for years I didn't have her. So for years, you know, people don't know this, but when we started YouTube, we were filming in my mother's basement, which is where I used to make cakes that I delivered all around the city. And I did everything. So not only was I making the cakes, other than filming, of course, not only was I making the cakes, but I was cleaning up and washing the pans and doing all the stuff that goes into that. Bootstrapping in the baking way. Yep. But now I have Helena, which is great. And it's just also great from a camaraderie perspective because she comes from the food world, not baking, but now we can riff off each other. What do you think of that? What do you think of this idea? And I didn't have that before. Everyone on the team before was supportive, but didn't bake. I was the only one who baked. Are you, and are you working out of your house or do you have another studio you drive to every day? We have a studio now, but like I said, for the first, what was it, Connie, six years? Six years, it was in my mom's basement, which is where I had built my original kitchen so that I could make nut-free cakes for, you know, my clients in the city. And then Connie, I assume you do everything else or what? (laughs) What does your day look like? (laughs) Yes, right now, yes. Which is, again, when you ask bootstrapping versus getting a strategic partner, I would like to not be a bottleneck very much. I'm wearing too many hats. A couple hats is great. Like every entrepreneur, we, you know, we get a bit of a high multitasking, but it, it comes to a point where, you know, you have to look at yourself and say like, what am I really great at? What energizes me and everything else, just get the people that are smarter than you, more experienced than you to do those things so that you're living in your yeah. genius and everyone else is living in their genius. And then what are the other, I guess, five people on the team do? Are they all production content? So Yo mentioned Helena. So Helena is production. Orhan, who's our original editor, and he was our first ever hire. The, the one that Yo mentioned 
created the Walter speech bubble thing. He's still with us. So he's our, our lead editor. And then we have Kaylee. She's our head of marketing. She's one of our more recent hires. She's been with us a year, but feels like she's been with us forever. She's amazing. We've got Rachel, who's also incredible, comes from a culinary background, fantastic project manager. She runs all the digital product stuff. And then we've got Jared, our head designer, who's actually based out of New Zealand. And he's incredible. Prior to working with us, he was the designer on Candy Crush, the very popular Candy Crush game. Wow. So very on brand there. And then we've got Allison, who is kind of our jack of all trades and does all kinds of stuff, helps with all the Shopify stuff, assists Rachel. And there's a lot of heavy lifting that goes into creating the courses and all that kind of stuff. So that's our team. And then we have a whole bunch of contractors like copywriters and email marketing support people and all that good stuff. So that's that's kind of our team right now. And who's selling the brand deals? Because I'm guessing that's how you're making a lot of money. Who, who's who's on the ground there? Me. So that's the stuff huh. I should yeah <laughs> I should be doing even more of. I'm definitely like a, a partnership ideas person. I'm more of the, kind of that strategist. So I love to kind of talk with some of the big brands and do some really interesting 360 degree you know multi tier marketing campaigns. I'd love to be doing that more. And yeah, we do need. We do need a sales team. We don't have one. We've been fortunate to get by without one. We have a great new management company out in New York that we've just signed on and they're fantastic. But yeah, it's just us hustling. Wow. And so what does a brand deal look like in terms of, are you doing one-off deals or these, these all have to be sort of annual deals? Do you have category exclusivity? Break that down a little bit. So they're... They often start as one-offs, but I'm happy to say we have a really great returning customer rate from the B2B side of things. Because one of the things that, you know, I pride ourselves on is unlike other kind of, and not that we're an agency, but unlike other agencies who will not guarantee KPIs because it's just so hard, especially in the the digital world and social media world, you can't guarantee certain things. We take a lot of time upfront to get very clear with the client to find out what is their actual KPI. What yes, they want to measure everything, but what does success actually look like? Let's quantify that upfront. Then you tell us your budget, and we will then guarantee that result. And we won't take on anything that we can't guarantee. And mm. if we're falling behind on views or whatever, we will spend extra time to make sure to get that. Wow. And what's what's your typical client? Are these mostly like food brands or is it travel or is it mom brands? It's any client that wants to reach our core demographic, which is, like I said, Gen Z women, millennial moms and their families. And what's great is we we have a lot of data, not just our own data, but we last year, one of the best things we did was hire a third party agency out in New York who ran first party data on 3 million Americans that are part of our community. And we got very crystal clear on what these people are spending their money on, their wallet share down to the product. So that kind of builds the pipeline right there. Like we can go to those brands that we know they're buying and say, you want to sell to this demographic and this is the stuff they want. Again, it's almost like that social listening again. We're really facilitating the community with the right brands versus trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. Yo, where do you want to be? Let's just say you could paint your ideal picture like Martha, like Rachel, like like all those folks. Where do you want to be in five years, let's say, to say, okay, like this, we're, we're actually where we wanted to be? Look at her face light up every time you say Martha. It's just <laughs> Yeah, Martha, who I got to meet on one of 
my judging experiences and I could not speak to her for about a half an hour. Whoa. Yes. So, and she was everything, but you know, baking is my passion, cake decorating in particular, but I believe that there are many verticals in the land of baking and I want how to cake it to be able to present all of those verticals. I also want to help as Connie does other artists, not really, it's not about spotlight, but showcase their artistry because as an artist, this podcast is called making it. I never think that I've made it. I always want something else. I always want to reach another rung on the ladder and just for my personal satisfaction. So I want other artists to feel that too, because people might look at me and say, wow, you have all these subscribers on YouTube, but I'm not where I want to be. And I want to bring them curated content in every vertical of baking. Because the same way that my personal perspective is cake decorating and making cakes that look like things. There's a cookie artist who has her own perspective. And then there's a cupcake artist who has her own perspective. And then there's pastry. And there's just so many beautiful treats in this world that people need to see. And I want them all to come to the forefront on how to cake it. And whether that's through content on our How to Cake It Instagram, more master classes, more Bake You Happy classes, helping these artists write the book of their dreams through how to cake it publishing. And then, as I mentioned, I get a lot of joy from helping people and teaching people one-on-one. So I realize I'm teaching people on YouTube in the broader perspective, but when I get to go on these cake shows and they talk to me off to the side, or I get to give them constructive criticism right there face-to-face, that's really fulfilling to me. And I think it's because, like I said, I was never part of a cake community. So I was just trying things and hoping that they worked. And that's kind of what I'm still doing on YouTube. But I love being the support for other people who are trying as well. And I also, on a personal level, TV forces me out of my own bubble. Because as I mentioned, I was a really shy child. And YouTube sort of burst me out of that bubble at first. But I'm still with my own trusted group of people. I have control over editing. I have, you know what I'm saying? Like it's a very comfortable space for me now, but when I go on TV, it's a whole different ballgame. So I have to step out of my own shell and also be able to give people constructive criticism because I'm someone who just doesn't like to hurt people's feelings, but I have to be honest and truthful with them. And that's a growing experience for me. So I really enjoy that. I really, really enjoy that. You're spreading your wings Yeah, spreading my wings on a personal level and also products going back to the deal that fell through. I can still visualize how to cake a product. I mean, I have done this my whole life. I know what cake decorators and bakers want and I can just see it. Every time I go into a store with baking products, I think we should be in here. Yeah, I know exactly how. So (laughs) that really hurt. But yeah. Connie, take us home. Where are you going to be in five years, Connie, that you can say, okay, we've done it. We are where we should be right now. Ooh, I think it's what we're doing on a, on a bigger scale. And I think it's a lot of what Yo said. I use the analogy, Yo was talking about with these other artists. I use the analogy of creating like the Avengers of baking and sweets. So Yo is Tony Stark, right? Like she's, she's the most popular and she's like the leader, but you know, who are those other incredible artists that we can really raise up? A third generation entrepreneur. I come from a family that had small businesses. And I really believe in the power of supporting artists and entrepreneurs and helping them realize their dreams. So 
through how to cake it is definitely one way to do it. And just any, any way I could help particularly young women and even like young girls just build their confidence and empower them. I'm happy. So how to cake it is a great way to do that because we're creating content that's empowering them. We're creating experiences that are empowering them and bringing families together. And we have this way to elevate these other artists and small business owners. And the bigger you are, the more you scale, the more impact you can have. Yeah. Because if we scale, like one of my passion projects within the business is to launch how to cake it family. So we put out a kid's book last year that we're really proud of because it's storybook, part baking book. And the whole premise is, you know, read together as a family, bake together as a family, because together is how we make magic. So I'd love to just really extend that brand. So create a YouTube channel where there's a lot of that family programming specific to those stories, launch more books and just be a part of, I mean, I think there's no bigger honor personally than being a part of someone's childhood and bringing people together. So doing that through a How to Cake It family brand, I would love to do that in the next five years. Amazing. Connie, Yolanda, this was awesome. Thank you so much for sharing the story. Thank you, John. This is so much fun. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy episodes like this, make sure you subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And of course, follow me on Twitter at RealJohnDavids. We'll see you next time.